Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Everybody and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGoff. And I'm Annie Cardi. Hey Annie. Hey Walt. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take one piece of media, a fandom, if you will, and mash it up with another fandom and then uh, see who's gonna kiss and who's gonna fight. It that started out very official. It was like a fandom, if you will. If as the kids say. And then it got geeky and I liked that. Yeah. <laughs> I um, was I was doing my PowerPoint presentation version of an intro to Tumblr. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it worked out just fine. Yeah, I think so too. I'd reblog that. Yeah. Um, well, Annie, uh, for all of everybody's tumbling needs, what are we tumbling together this evening? Oh, man. Do we have an episode for you? Oh, I get it. Yes. Oh, but they don't yet. They don't. So n- now you can know that we're mashing up Children of Men and Mad Men. Get it? Ah. This is the beginning of our transitive property crossover appeal episode. I think next time it'll yeah. be Mad Max and Mad yeah. Men. And then... And then um, is there a movie about Max that's not Mad Max? Probably. Yeah, sure. We'll find one. It'll I think be... there's a movie about Hitler called Max, actually. Oh, geez. Yeah. Wait, why? Well, because he meets... It's the, I think his like, painting mentor. It's oh. it's Hitler like before he was Hitler. Oh yeah, right. It's, so we have to learn how Hitler became Hitler. Yeah, it's the yeah. prequel. Like we all want to. It's called Star Wars Episode Three: Attack of the Clones. <laughs> yep, that's the one. <laughs> he did kill a lot of younglings, um, but to keep it in the realm of what we're talking about tonight. Yeah, so we're gonna we're this whole episode's gonna be a big downer apparently. Yeah, well, we're uh, just starting right off well, with actually, genocide. That was an accidental. Perfect segue into our first property, Children of Men Killing Younglings. The younglings aren't even alive in this one. <laughs> no one's killing them. Well, they are. They just grew up. They stopped being That younglings. is true. Well, that yeah, that is true. If you're young, you're like a teenager in this, yeah. and then they kill you. Yeah, but well, we should not. probably give people some context. Yeah. So, <laughs> Children of Men is a dystopian sci-fi film based on the novel of the same name by P.D. James, um, although it differs from the book in many ways. It was directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who is a personal favorite of mine, um, and was released in 2006. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, including one for Best Achievement in Cinematography by Emmanuel Lubezki. I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, Because he's another big personal fave. Like, I feel like anytime I think, wow, that... I didn't actually know that. I was reading the show notes, and I was like, yeah, it is a favorite cinematographer. Yeah, because anytime I'm like, wow, this movie looks amazing, it's him. It's like he does all the Alfonso Cuaron stuff, Mm -hmm. and he did, like, Tree of Life. Like, anytime a movie, like, looks real good, it's because of our friend Emmanuel. Yeah. So keep up, Emmanuel. Keep up the good work. Keep on filming. Um, The story of Children of Men is set in 2027 in the UK after about 18 years of global infertility. So humankind seems like it's on the brink of extinction. Um, So everything's kind of awful and depressing, like the fact that the British government is rounding up and detaining immigrants. 
That's no good. No, super not good and very relevant in this day and age, unfortunately. Yeah, the infertility is never explained, right? No, I think they they make guesses as like, you know, is it pollution? Is Mm -hmm. it um, food? Is it... Yeah, which is almost cooler, I think, because each character has like their idea of what caused it. Oh, totally. And part of the story involves, you know, this one group who is secretly working on a cure for infertility. Right. Um, so the story follows Theon Farron, who's a former activist, um, and he is contacted by this group, the Fishes, um, and they're a militant immigrant rights group that's led by Theo's ex-wife, Julian. Uh, Julian wants him to get transit papers for a young immigrant woman named Key. Uh, Theo does so, but in the process of getting Key to where she needs to be, the fishes are attacked and Julian is shot and killed. In one of the coolest shots of the film. Yeah. It's like a long, suspended single take. Yeah, which there are a couple of those in the movie. Um, Mm. And again, just the directing and cinematography in this is excellent. Yeah. um, Which I'll talk a little about later. Um, So... Key reveals to Theo at that point that she's not just looking for a way out of the UK. She is pregnant. Ba-ba-ba. She is the first pregnant woman in 17 years. Um, Julian was trying to get Key to the Human Project, which is a group of scientists working to cure infertility. Um, They're on a boat somewhere. Super secret. Yeah, super, super secret. Mm -hmm. Um, Julian told Key that Theo was the only person she could trust. Which is probably good because Key and Theo find out that Luke, the new leader of the Fishes, orchestrated the attack to kill Julian and take over the group. So she was totally right. She was he's totally the only right. Trustworthy dude. Yeah. So, but and under Luke's leadership, the Fishes will keep Key and the baby and use them as political tools. Um, so Theo, Key, and midwife Miriam escape to a friend of Theo's, who's Jasper, and he lives in seclusion, seclusion with his wife. Uh, the fishes discover Jasper's house, and Theo, Key, and Miriam have to escape again, uh, this time to connect with the human project near a refugee camp. Um, they manage to get to the refugee camp, and um, once they're there, Miriam is able to distract a guard from Key, who's like going into contractions, or she's experiencing contractions going into labor. Um, the guard separates Miriam from Theo and Key, and we like never see her again. In a really just horrible, yeah. hard to watch scene, of which there are many. Oh, yeah. This whole movie is real hard to watch. Mm-hmm. I think I like, I watched it in theaters and left with like a headache, and but I loved it. Yeah. Like even just the opening sequence, I remember watching it yeah. and being like bolted to my seat oh, by it. It's just totally. so like it's so great. quiet and then bracing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the best way to describe this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so in this refugee camp, it's things are real bad. Um, like there's so much violence, um, uh, like from from the guards, from other people like, you know, they're, they're living in squalor. Um, and yeah. I think when Alfonso Cuaron was kind of constructing this movie, um, he was really thinking about like everything from, you know, actual refugee camps to Guantanamo to the Holocaust, just like real bad stuff that humans have had to endure. Yeah, and it's sort of hinted at that Britain has maintained this semblance of order where the rest of the world has kind of fallen apart a lot. Yeah, like there's a lot. Yeah, exactly. They're like Britain, you know, keeps calm and carries on. Um, But only if you're British. Yeah, exactly. Like only for like basically white people. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So now that they're alone, um, Key goes into labor in the refugee camp just as like a war breaks out between the government and the refugees aided by the fishes. Um, Theo manages to get Key and the baby through the battle kind of in this beautiful, amazing moment where everyone is just awed by the sight and sound of a baby. Um, and they make it onto a boat to meet up with the human project. Um, Theo, unfortunately, has been shot um, and kind of loses consciousness just as the boat appears. But yeah. he has completed his mission in getting Key and the baby to hopefully safety. Yeah, things aren't looking great for him, except in terms of his purpose. Yes, like he has completed his purpose. Um, and, you know, there is, again, this hope that not only does has Key delivered a... an alive baby Mm -hmm. um, which is just hope for humanity in general but hope that these scientists will help her and be able to help humanity not fall off the brink of a you know extinction yeah extinction yeah go science yeah yay science yeah keep us out of there um so characters in the movie again theo played by clive owen um i think he does a wonderful job in this role um, Julian, played by Julian Moore. Um, oh, she's so good. She's so great. And um, so gone. Yeah, like, but actually in the book, apparently, Julian is the one who is pregnant. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so we have Key, played by Claire Hope um, Ashidi, oh, um, who was like a recent high school grad who took the role in her, like, break year before college. Oh, my God. I know, right? Is she still acting? Do you yeah, know? I think she's been in some other things. She majored in, like, anthropology, I want to say. Good for her. Yeah, right? Um, and she's wonderful. Um, and so, again, this role was not in the book, but Quaron made the choice to include it. Um, and he said, the fact that this child will be the child of an African woman has to do with the fact that humanity started in Africa. We're putting the future of humanity in the hands of the dispossessed and creating a new humanity to spring out of that. Um that's which really I think lovely. is really cool. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, it would have been easy just to have been like, oh, okay, Julian, here it is. But it it yeah. really changes the story very dramatically. And to, it really helps it be about this sort of stratification of race and class. Yeah. Um, um, and immigration. That, and, uh, in a yeah. way that it wouldn't have been if it was like, white woman saves the world by having a baby. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Um, and we have Luke played by uh, Chewotel Ejiofor. Which uh, I did not remember yeah. until I was reading the show I know, notes. Me and then too. I and I was like, out. oh, yeah, I know. There's some guy in that. And and let, and like that he did a good job. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's he you. He did a great job. Yeah. He's and the like, operative. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's so intense. <laughs> I feel like I need to see him in a movie where he just like, he plays like the romantic comedy lead. Yeah. I think he'd be great for yeah, that. Yeah. Because he plays, again, these really intense, powerful roles. Um, we have Jasper played by Michael Caine. Michael Caine. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, and uh, Miriam played by Pam Ferris Um, Nigel played by Danny Houston who is the half-brother to Angelica Houston son of John Houston friend of the podcast friend of the podcast yes after that little misunderstanding where I said their name wrong uh, we reached out and they got back and I think we really we built some bridges oh totally Mm -hmm. yeah Angelica Houston totally our BFF now (laughs) for sure um, and he plays Theo's cousin who works in the government and helps get the paperwork for Key. Mm. Um, so this is a movie with some real big themes. Yeah. This is, There's this a lot was, of themes yeah, to this talk was about. not a hard one to find themes for. <laughs> um, so the big ones are just, you know, mortality, despair, and hope. Um, after almost 20 years of infertility, individuals and society have to grapple with the idea that humans may have no more future. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting take on the end of the world. Like, it's not a zombie apocalypse. It's not a catastrophic natural event. It's just humans dying off. Like, 
I I feel like that's so fascinating. And yeah. I hadn't thought of, I mean, I first of all, I hadn't even thought of like, what if everybody was infertile? But also the idea of like, what if humanity was just going to end? Like, what yeah. would that do? And the fact that things are thrown into such chaos. Mm-hmm. And from... the idea of like a lag time of like your humanity is over and we know it. Yeah, and, and you, you know, just wait for it. Yeah, it's the same thing I think is some like, there's some hard sci-fi stories about like, we realize that we're not going to be able to make it to a different planet yeah. and the earth is dying. Yeah. But this feels even more immediate because it's so earth focused and like focused. Oh on yeah. The and it's like, immediate. you're all going to be gone within the next like 50 years. Yeah. And you, it's not even like, in like some big thing that's going to happen. It's just like, there are going to be a bunch of old people who can't care for each other yeah. and then die. Yeah, and even like uh, there's that there's a wonderful scene where Jasper is playing music. Yeah, and like the modern music that's being made is just like screaming and like it's like yeah, what, like intense. What does art discord. look like yeah. when there's no posterity anymore? And what's the point of art? Mm-hmm. Like if there's no one that will be listening to this music, yeah. you know, years from now, like posterity doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So what does it mean to just capture a moment or like why does anybody still make it? Yeah, and I think that's a big question that comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Theo saying like it just it does and like what's the point of anything yeah and there's like a state-sponsored suicide kit yeah that they just send out to elderly people to be like go whenever you want yeah exactly like it's something that again i hadn't really thought of in terms of a dystopian society mm-hmm. but it's so like upsetting yeah and makes a lot of sense yeah and i think huh. the uh the world building i'm sorry if you were going to touch yeah. on this later but yeah. like the world building of it is so clever um, yeah which i'll talk to about when you get to it yeah <laughs> hold on that one um so again like this is a world full of real intense despair um but the the plot is centered around this hope with key and and um this is the hope that is that is existing for all characters mostly theo because he's the one who is like he's charged with bringing her to the human project and hopefully saving humanity but even again that long shot of battle just stopping for this baby crying like no one can believe that it's there yeah they still have this gut understanding of what that means yeah and that like i i feel like so much in that moment is just like it's hitting them that is like oh my god this is possible Mm -hmm. Um, but and of course they you know all go back to fighting. Right, as soon as the baby's off the battlefield, yeah. it's almost. I love that moment because it's almost like someone puts the needle back on a record. Yeah, like it like ramps back up as soon as they're out of range yeah. and everybody keeps killing each other. Yeah. Um. So yeah, lots of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Um. Another theme is political power. Um. The British government obviously is exerting a, immense control over and violence against refugees. Um. And they, that's a big theme for Quaron here. Um. And even though the fishes are fighting against that, they're not all that noble either. Like mm-hmm. Luke is willing to literally kill to further his cause. And he's thinking of this as a very like noble pursuit. Like he's yeah. taking out Julian. Um, he takes out Jasper. He tries to kill Theo. Like, And in his mind, he's like, no, we are fighting for the refugees and what is right. Yeah, it's, it's fighting for the people who are there yeah. instead of the people who might be there in the future, which when you're in a world that has no future, yeah. potentially, like that becomes a really freighted thing. Oh, totally. Um, and again, he just plays this role so wonderfully. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love that it's a very, um, very layered character. Yeah, he's not just a bad guy. Right. Um, 
And then more themes of love, loss, and sacrifice. Uh, Julian and Theo had been separated for years since the death of their own child, um, but they both give their lives in hope of helping Key and helping humanity survive. So through their kind of immense loss, they find this drive and strength to help someone else and humanity by extension. I like that a lot. Thank you. It's like, uh, it's it's foster grandparenthood. Yeah, it's true. Oh, mm-hmm. Um and there's also a lot of religious references throughout, like, you know, fishes and um, Theo's kind of on a nativity journey with Key, who's this mm-hmm. miraculous pregnant woman. Um, so, yeah, lots of lots of deep stuff in this. Film. Yeah. It's, Metaphors, yeah. layers, everything. Um, so for some things that I like and I think other people will like, um, the, again, this cast is just amazing. Like there's there are intense performances all over. Yeah, I feel like Clive Owen is particularly good at smolder. Like yeah. in in the sexy sense, but yeah. also in the like, like rage kind sense. of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think sometimes he in some films can go really broad with dialogue. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, so he's not always my favorite actor. Yeah, um, but when he's just playing sort of silent and stoic, he's yeah. an incredibly powerful presence. Yeah, and I feel like not just stoic as in separate, but like or, or like disengaged emotionally, but like. Again, that kind of despair. Yeah. Like he's just living with this quiet despair until he's charged with this mission. He's very interior. Yes. Um, And, you know, I've been saying the direction and cinematography is just masterful. Like I love um, Cuaron and Lubezki um, and they take their viewer on a really intense visual journey, including those single shot sequences, like when, you know, Julian gets shot and then when the baby is born and they are carrying him through the battle. Yeah. The AV Club had a uh, a Scenic Roots article a few years ago by Mike D'Angelo about why those shots are terrible. And I've oh. never been more mad at anything on the internet well, in I my mean, life. It's one thing to be like, well, obviously you're not going to use it for every shot in your movie. Oh, yeah. Well, his whole argument was, it was like the classic film nerd argument. And it was that it calls attention to itself. And so it takes you out of the movie. Whereas if you're oh. a film major, sure, you know what's happening and you're watching for yeah. that. But if you're just watching the movie and not thinking I, about what camera lens they're yeah. using or ha- what the setup is like, you don't, you're not aware of that. And it, it increases the tension. Yeah, honestly, I did not remember that the car shot was a single camera shot until mm-hmm. like I was looking up stuff for the notes for this I was like oh yeah I just remember that it was so intense and scary yeah and I didn't know who was gonna survive right well the internet got really mad at him yeah then, good so. <laughs> screw that guy <laughs> just thought I'd drop that oh. little bomb in there just yeah to... we're not gonna include that in the show notes because that's <gasps> garbage oh my gosh wow yeah the first forcible exclusion from the show yeah, notes yeah right everybody. cut out forever sorry Mike D'Angelo yeah. try again or not we're never gonna include you wow blacklisted man you hear you heard it here first folks yeah everybody tell mike d'angelo so you can be sad yeah don't worry alfonso Cuarón. i got your back let's bring it back to the positives yes what do, what do you think other people like about um, the movie so like you're saying world building is fantastic like this is my favorite kind of dystopia um it makes sense in a world that is re- reacting to disastrous events like in this case global infertility yeah. um i think my issue with a lot of dystopian fiction comes from the fact that it seems like the the writer had like they got an idea for a fun society and didn't think about how that would make sense for a world recovering from something right especially beyond like the first immediate story like yeah. there's always that movement in it's in especially trilogies and stuff where you need to keep moving outward into the broader world yeah. and the further you get away from the protagonist the less sense make, stuff makes yeah um 
And with, again, with here, it's just like people are like losing hope that like any kind of society will continue. So what is the point of society? Right. It's any action is justifiable. Yeah. There's no And, you know, the government is using fear to control various populations. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Yeah. yeah, like I think, again, like an extremely well wrought dystopian world yeah i think that this is a movie that i mean obviously i have no firsthand experience but most to me feels like what it must be to at least somewhat uh live in a war zone or an area of conflict where you're never fully at ease it's always tense and grim and there are these events happening around you that could go either way and then occasionally there's just a massive outbreak of violence or a sudden event like Um, i mean in that beginning part yeah. of the movie where there's you know he's getting a coffee and then a bomb goes off right. somewhere and that to me feels exactly like a reconstruction of a moment of sudden violence like yeah. that oh totally and, and it everyone's made me think pretty of, unfazed by it yeah um yeah it made me think of like very real events that people mm-hmm. live with um which again like it connects with like this is how humanity already works we're right. just kind of adding a layer along with that yeah there's no romanticization yeah. of it or the idea that this event would change humanity yeah it's like no this is still the way we do it's just the, the bad things get worse mm-hmm. well yeah so this is a real fun episode yeah man we're um, really tearing into it <laughs> and another thing i really like about this movie is that it does not give easy answers mm-hmm. um like i like to think that key makes it to safety but we don't know for sure that things will be okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so we, the last shot is kind of uh, Theo either dead or passed out in the boat mm-hmm. with Key, this big ship approaching. Um, and it's the boat name that they've been looking for. Yep. This is the human project. Um, but we, you know, we don't interact with these people yet. We don't know if Key is going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but hope, again, like I think she will be. Um, I think this is like the ends on hope. Possibly because I, the I want to say the credits have like children's laughter overlaid on it, mm. which I mean could be just real creepy and sad and like this is the end of the, the world, memory of time. the memory of time, or okay, it could be that this is the possibility of the future. This is yeah. what she is moving toward. Well, I think that it, it it's good storytelling as well. That I think you know one of my problems with the current spate of Ridley Scott alien movies uh, and prequels is that like you're constructing these worlds in which the struggle actually winds up having no point narratively because mm. you're eliminating your protagonists or you're eliminating uh, the reason for the story existing whereas you know the central drive of this story is to bring this child into the world and bring hope into the world mm. and yeah you kind of it it feels right narratively to sync that up it may not be true to real life but i think it's a movie that is so unsparing otherwise in its look at humanity that uh it does seem to be open-hearted enough to give a little bit of hope yeah definitely yeah you know in a world that is very bleak like there are immense moments of hope and i think that's where ultimately the movie ends yeah i guess it doesn't it doesn't hate its audience for wanting hope no which i think a lot of movies that try to be really grim and dark and gritty do they yeah. like try to keep smacking down the yeah, impulse like, to look for the good. Is, there is only bleak. Yeah, look at and like that's narratively that's usually the easiest solution when you're telling a story is just yeah. to keep doubling down on badness, but to find a way out is really lovely. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Sorry, um, got up so, on a little soapbox there. No, it's great. I, again, there was a lot to talk about in this episode. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, if you want to talk about some of the worst of humanity as well yeah hey thank in, god we're into, moving into a show that's entirely Advent. devoid of thematic resonance yes. but you uh, know there 
are some real fun gifts along with that. So it's we'll true. have some fun with this. <laughs> um, let's talk about Mad Men, everybody. Uh, it's a television series created by Matthew Weiner, who wrote uh, the show ran on AMC for seven seasons from 2007 to 2015. This was back when seasons on TV were actually over the course of a year instead of just uh, willy nilly and catch as catch can. I feel like the yeah. acceleration of season numberings has. I don't know, apparently become a pet peeve of mine. I didn't even know yeah, I was mad about wow. it until I started talking about I it. Know. But damn it, in my day, yeah, right? a season was a year. Let me get you some butter pecan ice cream and you'll feel mm, better. Yes, please. Hashtag so old. <laughs> old at heart. Um, so yeah, Mad Men, uh, the show was very little known and little talked about in its time. Pretty uh-huh. off the radar. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. Uh, but that's, I'd love to hear if real, you do. Real hipster right there. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty much in on the ground floor of this one. Uh, no, you guys, it was super popular. Everybody talked about it all the time. Um, the show is a period piece set primarily in the 1960s and following the rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall again and rise maybe of advertising executive Don Draper, uh, a man with a perfect nuclear family, a dark secret in his past, and the ability to make grown men weep just by talking about carousels. Um, Don is a salesman in every sense mm-hmm. of the word. Uh, he's an advertising guy, and he's super good at what he does. Um, Don's journey is echoed by that of the advertising for- firm that he works at, uh, Sterling Cooper. Um, I'm sure there's- And it's a, many name changes. Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of metaphor in there about the necessity of a healthy work-life balance, but we watch advertising as an industry essentially take really solid shape in the era of radio or TV uh, and movies coming into more and more prominence as cultural artifacts and the idea of advertising as like storytelling of a kind um, driven largely by men like Don. And the the drive of capitalism and consumerism mm-hmm. um, in this post-war era. Yeah, and mass production and branding. Yeah, and, and like all people have stuff. money. Like yeah. you know, you Disposable didn't have that in, in the Great Depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, over the course of the series, we also meet and invest in other workers at the agency in all of its permutations as they deal with societal upheaval um, and the sort of truths underlying the idyllic Americana subculture. Um, we, yeah, we watch that myth of 1950s America come into being and then get smacked down over and over and over again. Um, the show spends a lot of season one kind of burning through all of the life in the 1960s sure was crazy uh, tropes that I think you expect to see in a show like this like the first few episodes everybody's smoking all the time that never stops but it also stops being like a focal point um they play through a lot of the neurotic people do the twist yeah people do this they play through a lot of like the neurotic housewife tropes um pretty early on before then starting to layer and shade and deepen all of them so i think it started off as a show with beautiful production design that everybody was watching to see it like stick it to the 1960s and also some real excellent Um, actors oh yeah uh, but I mean, most of them were unknowns when it started. Oh, sure. But like you, you I think I, at least I was tuning in because I was engaged by the performances. For sure. Like and as someone who really enjoys a good costume design. Yeah. But then I think it, it went beyond any sort yeah. of baseline satirical thoughts that people oh, yeah. had uh, and really started. It always took its characters seriously. I think it took a little while for the audience to figure out that that's what it was doing as well. Um, and the characters are really the heart of the show. Um, it has very sort of discursive plots. It moves through a lot of plots and stories. Um, and it always had a kind of dreamlike quality to it in its best and most lyrical times. So it's not a show necessarily that you watch like riveted episode by episode to see what happens. There 
there are runs of it where it feels a little yeah. more cliffhangery, but uh, and there's a, always a forward momentum to it. But I think largely that's tied up into the characters. Yeah, I feel like this show for me most felt like reading a collection of linked short stories. Yes, absolutely. Like it did not feel like oh, I'm watching a regular TV show and I can't wait to see what happens ne- yeah, next Yeah, it, it's very novelistic. Yeah. It's very imagistic and, and willing to use metaphor and in, hint at things. Yeah, I feel like it's very literary in the literary fiction sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for it's a like TV a Raymond show. Carver book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just said linked yeah. short stories. Wait. Did I do something wrong? No, you, you took my my um, reader's advisory from oh, later. Well, that's what you get for adding stuff into my I reader's know. advisory without telling me. I know. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Raymond Carver. We talked about it earlier. Maybe. I said I was going to add it. <laughs> Whatever. I'm the nerdy one. It's true. Annie's the nerd, guys. It's true. Yep. Um, we'll put up a Twitter poll to see who is the, the true nerd. <laughs> um, anyway. characters in mad men are well you might say characters are welcome so the but the show was not on usa it was on amc (laughs) i was like wait a minute that was an amc's motto (laughs) i know but they ganked it from usa um the characters in the show let's talk about them a little bit don draper played by john ham at his look at my chiseled jaw east um just being a dreamboat amazing actorman and kind of breaking out in this part he really did Mm -hmm. like i remember hearing that he, you know, he was going to auditions and they were all looking for the, you know, floppy hair, boy bandy type. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I'm definitely not that. Yeah. Um, so he was getting like, you know, guest roles on TV shows and this hit and now he's a mega star. Yeah. And think, everybody loves him. Honestly, I think one of the biggest gifts that this show did was making him a star so that he could start being on shows like 30 Rock and SNL and everyone could discover just bubbly. how funny he is. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Thanks. Matthew Weiner, uh, for giving the world John Hamm, but also giving the world John Draper. So Don is a very deeply soulful, poetic man, but also something of a cipher and a sociopath. Um, he's literally a self-made man. He has made his own identity and achieved this ideal that he has been shooting for for his whole life um, by just kind of faking it till he made it, much like uh, advertising. But then the show deals very much with having obtained all of that, uh, him realizing that it doesn't make him happy and sort of always wanting his first instinct at any point is to drop everything and run away um, whenever there's conflict and a lot of the show go have sex with someone who is not his wife yeah that too that's that's the that's like the secondary impulse yeah (laughs) um but the show deals a lot with him wrestling with that impulse and gradually over the course of time getting slightly better at handling it and then way worse um he's very gatsby-esque yeah in that it's like i am gonna make myself in the model of who i think i should be mm -hmm. and succeed at that and also hate it yeah it's like the classic underpants gnomes thing from south park where it's like step one create a compelling identity that and make everybody love me step two question mark step three profit yeah like he doesn't really know what step two is no step two is be a human don draper no he's not great at that no um he, however, is joined by Peggy Olson, played by Elizabeth Moss, who's amazing. Yeah, also um, her breakout role. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for most of this cast, this was really yeah, the, that is these true, the roles to put them on the map. Yeah. I can't think of a single actor in this show who was like a big name before it started. Yeah, like I think they're all like steadily working. Yeah. Rory and, Gilmore pops up for a little while, but. Yeah, and she married um, Pete Campbell. No, that was. Uh... No, she married Pete Campbell. 
Rory Gilmore? Rory Gilmore married Pete Campbell. No, it was uh, Alison Brie married Pete Campbell. No. Oh, Trudy. no, but I mean on the show, oh. but in real life. Oh, or my they... God. Yeah. Vincent Carthizer and Rory Gilmore? Yeah. Good for them. Yeah, well, either they're dating. Kids found happiness. Um, or they're married, but I'm pretty sure they had a baby. Oh, that's super cute. Yeah. Well, uh, that makes my heart warm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that came out sounding really gross. <laughs> <laughs> we heated up the hot plate. Yeah. Ugh. Just put Walt's heart on yeah, it. That, that construction really needs to stay in the passive voice. <laughs> it needs to. That needs to never happen again. I'm sorry, listening public. Anyway, let's talk about Peggy Olson. Yeah. She's the first female copywriter at Sterling Cooper and Don's been tea in many ways. She looks up to him and complete, competes with him in equal measure and ultimately surpasses him in her own special way as her life mirrors the progress of women throughout the era. Yep. I think I made it past the embarrassment now. Okay, yeah, that uh, was totally smooth. <laughs> uh, Betty Draper, played by January Jones, in a role that is perfect for January Jones. Yeah, yeah, that is accurate. She, it is, it is right down the lane strike for this actress in this role. And I have to say, like, both January Jones and Betty Draper got a lot of flack. Oh, yeah. And, like, January Jones, maybe not the strongest actor no. among this group of very strong actors. But I really appreciate the way that they ultimately took this character, yeah. who is someone who, again, like she had a very clear idea of what her life was going to be. That did not end up being the case. She probably c- could have used a whole lot of therapy. Oh, yeah. And never got it. And I, I for me, it's just a really sad person. Yeah, she's a very tragic I feel life. really bad for her. Yeah, and I think the the watching the series is fascinating because you can see the show identify very strong actors in supporting roles and start writing yeah. more and more and more for them to do. I think Betty may have been the show recognizing the particular boundaries of this yeah. one actor and writing to keep her in that lane yeah. because the the character never gets to like bust out and become yeah. something new, but it stays incredibly consistent and fair to her. Yeah. And I feel like that is who she is. Mm-hmm. Like not all these characters are going to bust out in different ways. Yeah. She is a character who in a lot of ways stays the course more than anybody else in the show. Um, speaking of stay in the course and going for tradition, we got Pete Campbell, played by Vincent Carthizer, uh, Mr. Rory Gilmore, apparently. Yes. Um, Pete is comes in at the beginning as sort of the young gun at Sterling Cooper, which is hilarious because as a character, he is desperately grasping at a vision of masculinity and of success that is outdated when the show starts. He's mm-hmm. obsessed with obtaining the kind of success and respect that men of his father's generation mm-hmm. got. And he's just not very good at it. No, he um, is very much a sociopath in that he seems like someone who looks at other human interactions and emotions and thinks, oh, that is what I should model myself yeah, after. Yeah, I will do that. I will do that. Yeah. But not actually experiencing the genuine emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, although he really ends up coming off I think in he a turns into way. a secret protagonist for the series yeah. in a lot of and ways. And like he really grows and manages to find those genuine emotions yeah. um, um, and break out of the mold of who he thinks he should be. Yeah, and the show is very willing to make him the butt of jokes and make him a terrible person, but it's also very able to pull him out of that 
tailspin um, in ways that are fulfilling. I mean, it actually, there's one thing about all of the arcs on this show, none of them feel cheap. Even when yeah. they go through very big swings, um, the writers are very attentive and very delicate and make sure that everything feels earned, uh, which is great. Um, Roger Sterling, played by John Slattery, often the comic relief of the show and well-deserved. Um, oh, he's yeah. the Sterling part of Sterling Cooper. Wink. Um, he's sort of one generation up from Don. Uh, he's kind of rakish and charming, but a little bit nihilistic. Um, he and Don have a lot of fun competing against one another, but also being friends, but also not respecting each other. They're also Yeah, they're definite frenemies um and he, Sterling is also wrapped up with Joan Harris, played by Christina Hendricks. Um, she's the office manager who has dreams of accomplishing more um, at first through marriage. And then when that doesn't work out, uh, she does it for herself. Um, she really is a character who's willing to use every available opportunity and everything in her power to get what she wants. But in a way that you really want her to succeed. And she's at. someone who is extremely smart and capable um and in a similar way as peggy to see these two women who have to deal with a time in which you know smart capable women were not fostered Mm -hmm. um but you yeah you're really rooting for them to find their success yeah absolutely Um, and like and i think joan starts off as a character who's almost antagonistic and a little bit regressive. She's very emblematic of a woman's role in an office before societal change happens, but she's a character who completely finds her element as she works her way up in on the ladder Mm -hmm. and finds her own success and is very self-motivated then you have a whole slew of other memorable characters including harry crane ken crosgrove paul kinsey he joined a cult uh you got sad sal romano sad trombone uh burt cooper the shoeless office uncle oh that's Um, right you got sally effin draper oh sally draper i would read a whole series of novels about sally draper oh yeah um really a character who becomes a viewpoint character for the show largely i think again because they recognized how good kiernan shipka is yeah oh she's a delight yeah um lane price mr britishman uh megan draper her yeah she's fine (laughs) and he was not a fan of megan i feel like they didn't know know what to do with her on the show like i think she's a perfectly fine actress like she did a good job with what she had but it was just kind of like a whole bleh yeah um, Stan Rizzo, just the 60s named character ever, uh, and a good foil for Peggy. Um, you got Henry Francis, uh, the politician, um, who's, oh, yeah, again, who, sort of older order. And ends um, up married to Betty. Yeah. You got Ted Cho, the anti-Don. Uh, oh, Ted. Who has an arc all of his own. Yeah. Uh, Michael Ginsburg, who has, I think, the best character exit in the entire series um, for yeah. just sheer come out of left field and also encapsulate a personality. Gosh, he showed up somewhere recently and I can't oh. remember. And I was like, oh my God, it's you. Good for him. Yeah. Um, oh, there's Jonathan from Buffy as well. Pops up oh, a bunch. Oh, he's great. So, yeah. that you know, that does make me wonder. It's kind of like the Tommyverse. Anytime Jonathan shows up, I'm like, is this not a real thing? This is his fan this fiction. This is his fan fiction. Yeah. Um, and of course, all the Bobby Drapers. Just an endless, an endless Bobby sea Drapers. of Bobby Drapers <laughs> Bobby stretching Drapers from here to the moon. As far as the eye can see. <laughs> uh, yeah, they never quite found a Kiernan Shipka 
uh, in the Bobbies. That's fine. Yeah, that was fine. Um, themes and fun stuff. We've talked a lot about Mad Men already, but I think uh, the March of Social Progress is a very big one. You're watching these characters very rooted in a patriarchy and a societal structure, um, dealing with the upheaval underneath them uh, from all levels of that systemic structure. Um, playing into the idea of advertising as storytelling, um, the difference between truth and lies, um, like Annie said, the sort of mass production and the idea of an America with capital and mm. um, and disposable income, um, the way that that affects you know the idea of who what you buy being who you are, and if you're the person who tells people what they are because of what they buy, then what does that make you? Um, Don is this sort of storyteller who only can tell stories in one particular way, and it leaves him not having any real internal truth for mm -hmm. himself. Um, the American dream, and whether it even exists, uh, or let alone whether it's attainable or not. Can he have no, it all? No, man. Uh, social justice in the mid-20th century, but pretty explicitly social justice through a white lens um this is not a show that deals particularly well or has a lot of interest in characters of color yeah we um, get donon who shows up as as don's yeah don's receptionist but even then it's and largely about like, how the white office encounters don yeah and i love those moments where we get to see don and i think shirley who is another mm -hmm. black receptionist like what they have a moment together but that's like one in the in, in the series yeah. um there's actually a fellow playwright and all-around cool dude will fancher has a really fantastic um essay on his blog about mm. characters of color in mad men ah. um, and it's a really it is an interesting look at a show that it's not that it did them badly, it's that it just wasn't interested in those yeah. stories, which I guess play to your strengths. And like, um, I, I would rather not see a real bad civil rights storyline on Mad Men. Like, yeah. I can understand being like, you know what, that's not the story we're telling. Right. But it then also leaves out a giant amount of people who were actually in the 60s. Yeah, it remains as a big missed opportunity for sure. Um, but the show deals a lot with feminism and the beginnings yeah. of that as a movement. Um, I guess hashtag white feminism. Specifically. Yeah, right. Uh, but uh, it it really is interested in the way that these kinds of changes affect the predominant prevailing powers. Um, and then yeah, I it's think, a show that is very interested in white men. Yeah, it's white men and and how white men got to where white men are yeah. now. We, yep. we're gonna make it after all. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> Throwing a fedora. Uh, speaking of which, it's not another a fedora. It's a beret. Well, when it's a white man, it's a oh, fedora. that's true. There you go. <laughs> Please, Henry. excuse Please. me. I'm Annie, sorry, white me, man. Let me explain to you. Yeah. the better version of this. Let me let me explain hats to you. <laughs> uh, Mary, Mary, love the opening. Love the show. I've got a couple notes. Yeah. Um, I just don't think it's feasible that well, a woman would, would be out on her own, able to throw in, and catch a hat in a city like Milwaukee. Yeah. How do you not slip on the ice hey, in your heels? Hey, Mary, okay, so you can throw the hat, fine. Can we at least freeze frame it at the end so that we don't have to stretch credulity by seeing you catch it when it comes back I mean, down? <laughs> they know that ladies can only catch things like That's getting babies. a little too close to sports there, Mary. Oh, right. <laughs> anyway, this has been Patriarchy Theater yep. with Fulton Nanny. <laughs> yep, that's our Mad Men fan fiction. <laughs> oh, my. Um, and lastly, uh, I think the show is intensely interested in the way that we emulate generations that have come before us, the idea of nostalgia, um, even though 
inevitably by the time we try to emulate the generations before us the world has changed in a way that makes that impossible i think pete campbell is like the living emblem of that story oh poor pete campbell so who that was a lot of themes to talk yeah, about we have, we've uh, got some real intense shows yeah, today and a lot of hot takes improv yeah, to throw out there of course because <laughs> um, we got to balance out the real intense with some hot takes yeah i think thematic crossovers um the we could talk for another hour about, I'm sure. Oh, totally. I'll throw out and say uh, world building. Yeah. I think. Like both of these are fully realized and very detail oriented yeah. worlds that um, are immersive. Oh, totally. I will add uh, this idea of looking back and looking forward, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, for for better or worse, um, kind of in despair and in hope. Yeah. Um, and then looking at very different worlds. Um, but yeah, they're both very occupied with kind of the span of time and how humanity is moving through it. Yeah. I think power structures, especially yeah. in times of upheaval. Yeah. Um, who has the know, power? Who is yeah. abusing the power? The pressure to maintain a status quo, even when it's no longer possible. And it's kind of ridiculous yeah. to be trying to. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think. Yeah. Those can... are good ones. Yeah, nailed it. Yeah. Boom. Three up, three down. Uh, so let's talk about physical crossover. How do these worlds come together in sadness? Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to, you know, recast the timeline a little. Okay. Um, and say that, you know, infertility is happening like now. Okay. Um, and maybe it's early on in infertility. So, so Sally, we still get Bobby Draper. We still have me- as many Bobby Drapers as you want. <laughs> Pick a Bobby. Pick any Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> They're two for one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, Bobby and Sally are still young, uh-huh. um, but there is this kind of increasing issue of the question of infertility. Yeah. Possibly because everyone is smoking everywhere. That's true. Yeah, right. Um, Maybe there was like a round of babies that just came out weird. That's a, that's a whole series on Necessi- Call the Midwife. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Speaking of right now, you're no, making your own real. recommendations. I know. I'm going to talk about Call the Midwife a lot. In my life and in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I'm thinking that, you know, that is is happening and um, kind of like in the Mad Men universe, they, mm-hmm. there are all these like pol- um, political situations and mm-hmm. kind of international situations and social situations that are going on, not exactly in the background, yeah. um, but they do function more on the periphery of what the characters are experiencing. Yeah, they're sort of adjacent to the yeah. main, to the character stories. Um, so I can see that start, you know, starting to go on with mm-hmm. the um, the the Mad Men universe. Um, yeah. But yeah, any ideas about how? Yeah. literally, we are crossing these two. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna port Mad Men into a future time. I think oh, I'm gonna pick up roughly where Children of Men leaves off. Oh so wow! We get this baby, the Human Project, is a success. But you know what? At this point, it's been what 17 years. I think humanity has largely sort of forgotten what it means to be a nurturing yeah. society that can look to the future. And so, so you know, we've got this hot new product that we need to get sold, Annie, and it's, it's called, called baby. babies. <laughs> 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 who are you going to get to sell babies to the to a skeptical public? I'll tell you who. Oh my God, Don Draper it, at Sterling it's, Cooper. It's leaking out of all of its orifices. Oh God, I was, it kept me up all night. Where's the off uh, button? I don't think I want humanity to survive. <laughs> it's true. I want to just put it in the bathtub and run See, the water, but it keeps making me feel bad when I look at it because yes. it's so cute. Now I'm thinking in my pre- past timeline, mm-hmm. m- moving Children of Men back, 
that maybe Sterling Cooper is hired to do those like propaganda ads. Right. Oh, yeah. I can um, see that for sure. Yeah. I just really want to see Don Draper give a pitch in front of a slide projector for babies. babies. <laughs> Think, flash yourself back to a simpler time. Yeah, right. <laughs> An easier time. A time when everything seemed possible. <laughs> a time when you didn't know words yet because you were a baby. <laughs> Yeah. I think John Hamm could do a great job with this monologue. And then it's like the picture is like a baby in a suit and it's like babies, the leaders of tomorrow today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Babies like people, but smaller. But people, but they won't tell you to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Babies, they can't talk back. (laughs) (laughs) But they will scream a lot. Yes. Also leaking out of every orifice. Babies, they can't eat solid food. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't try. These are all the rejected pitches. Yes. <laughs> Peggy had to tear up all sorts of art for sure, that. Peggy's really doing a lot of work on that one. <laughs> and then everybody keeps asking her because they were like, well, you're a woman, doll. Yeah. Don't you know? Tell us about and the babies. Like, well, and she's like, it's been 17 years. I've never had a baby. Yeah. And she and she would be like, I, I also don't even want to have a baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, actually... Because she hasn't she, never had a baby. Yeah, she has. She, just, she had a had a baby. She's and like, guys, I don't want to talk about a baby. it. Yeah. <laughs> she gave her to the Human Project. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's better than like the Catholic Church or whatever. Well, no, um, she gave it to her um her like sister cousin yeah, something. Yeah, family. It's with yeah. family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Goodbye. They plot did point. that a lot in the sixties. Yeah, they really did. Like that's like Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor Jack Nicholson. I know. Uh, but yeah, I think that that for me, it's it's a world where Sterling Cooper is commissioned to sell babies to a skeptical public. Okay, I think I'm I think I'm still going to be on my train. No, of I like yours. Yeah, to... yours yours feels maybe a little a little less one note. <laughs> <laughs> also, most people are still alive in my version. Yeah, it's and true. I can see like maybe when Don is on his road trip, connecting his his very sad road trip connecting mm-hmm. with Theo and Key. Yeah. And maybe helping them along one leg yeah, of their journey. Them a ride. And, yeah. But yeah, I do agree that I think Sterling Cooper would certainly be making ads to like I think if it's the early stages of the yeah. baby epidemic, yeah. the baby plague, baby. the baby absence. Yeah. Like making a, an ad campaign to downplay it. Yeah, to, like, like, to try to convince the populace that, like, no, no, you're, no, you're just young and single. They're having babies all over the place. You just haven't heard about them. And People also, aren't bragging about them. Why would you need a baby? Yeah, hey, America. Whatever. Don't brag about enough. your babies. Yeah. Just keep it quiet. Keep keep calm and carry on. Yeah, keep calm and don't have babies. Yeah. Hashtag Mad Men. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a bad it's social a, media it's, campaign. It's, it's the. <laughs> The um, theme with the silhouette of a guy falling out of a window, but it's a baby <laughs> falling <laughs> out of a window instead. But then it lands in an easy chair and smokes a cigarette. Yeah, because it's the 60s. Yeah. Everybody was smoking. <laughs> oh, my. So let's get some characters together, yes. why don't we? Um, So infinity characters on Mad Men, slightly less characters on Children True. of Men. Um, um, so we got a lot of Mad Men to go around. So let's go to Kiss Your Faces. Who other than everybody else on Mad Men are the characters of Mad Men kissing their faces with? Yeah, right. Um, so Julian and Theo have broken up. That's true. Um, I feel like Don Draper and Theo are very similar tone-wise, and yeah. I don't know if that would mean Julian would hook up with him or not. I feel like she'd be kind of do- over him. Yeah, I feel like that would maybe not be as great a choice. Yeah. Um, I do feel like Theo and Peggy maybe. 
because he's sort of a survivor. That is true. Yeah, um, and, and she, she and he likes well. smart, tough women. Yeah, I could see uh, the two or, of them getting I together. I mean, um, Theo and Joan. Oh yeah, man, Theo. I mean, he's playing the he, field. Yeah, right. <laughs> now that he's not with Julianne Moore anymore. <laughs> <laughs> just going left and right. It's true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Julian is a, she's a tough one because she's a character who's not actually in the film a whole lot, but she's very driven and very determined. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Cause I feel like there are a lot of guys on Mad Men who are yeah. not able to handle a driven and determined yeah, not woman. Worth, not worth her time. Not super worth her time. Um, like I think that oddly had Henry Francis seems like the most upstanding of those guys. Like, He's, I don't he, know. Really? Because I feel like he's a... He's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought yeah. you said Harry, Cra- Harry no. Crane. And I was like, oh, oh God. God, no. No, no, no I'm Francis. thinking of um, yeah, who married Betty. Yeah. Because he's actually a very stable person. And mm-hmm. I feel like he he's a good person for the Draper kids. He is big government, though. That's the thing. I, I feel, feel like, like... She wouldn't yeah. be a big fan of that. Unless um, she could like convince him to get out. Yeah. Um, that'd be a tough one. Um, um, yeah, there aren't a lot of great guys on Mad Men. Yeah. Has anybody you, you, noticed that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but you know what? So maybe Julianne is not straight. Maybe she's bi. Ah. So maybe we could match her up with Megan Draper. Oh, give, yeah. Give Megan Draper a little something to give do. Her, finally. Finally. <laughs> Don't worry, Megan. You're gay now. <laughs> we got you covered, girl. Thank God. Um, yeah, I think I think I could see that coupling. Um, and yeah, I could see Megan like finding her purpose in this movement mm-hmm. and... And being someone who Julian can trust. Yeah. Um, because obviously the Fisher's got a lot of political problems going on inside mm-hmm. their own group. Megan has a lot of clerical skills. She does. Yeah. Yeah, she's very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, she can act. She's, yeah, the, the show keeps telling us that she's an actor, so yeah. she can do subterfuge. Yeah, she totally can. Yeah. Spy, Megan. Yeah, um, yeah Megan's more interesting already. Yeah. Um, I have a Kiss Your Faces, but I kind of want to save it to the end because I'm very happy with it. Um. Okay, so, so let me see who else I can add on Kiss Your Faces. Um. Let's see. I... I mean, Key? Who's Key winding yeah. up with? Um, Again, I mean, not a lot of great dudes. No. Um... And frankly, I mean, and I'm assuming she's straight because mm-hmm. she is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we have no indication that that was not from a dude. Right. I mean, yeah, I think the, the I mean, maybe if he learned, if he's learned to be a decent per, an, an even more decent person, mm-hmm. the closest thing that Mad Men has to a guy you pull for, I would say Ken Cosgrove. True. But I like that he's with Alex Mack. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. I feel like I would even say... Michael Ginsburg because he was literally born in a concentration camp. He doesn't camp. handle pressure well. No, though. but that's the thing. It's like he is gone. He goes off the rails. Yeah, and he's a conspiracy theorist. But this is a world where conspiracy theorist theorying isn't necessarily a problem. Yeah, and I, I, I would want to match them up because of their survivorship. Yeah, um, I think she would. Okay, if she got to him in season five. Yeah. I think then, Maybe yes, if he's I'm holding, Yeah, because it. before then, he's kind of holding things down. Yeah, it's the computers a, that do it to Yeah, him. exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah. I can sign off on that. Um, how about the Battle Dome? Um, okay, well. Who's Theo punching? Everybody. Yes. Every, just Yeah, everybody. like, let's say okay, Her- Theo and Harry Roger Crane, hate each other. Paul oh, Kinsey. Yeah. Those are the people <laughs> who he, like, murders on his way to get to the real fight. Yeah, They're, right. They're, like, the sub-bosses before the boss Pete fight. Pete Campbell. Oh, yeah, sorry, Pete. Yeah. I think Roger Sterling and Theo would have a pretty epic fight. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Although, I, part of me thinks that Roger Sterling would 
almost not have an interest. Yeah. Like he's not going to engage with that. Yeah. I feel like not. Okay. This would be moving us into best buddies. Oh. I would say Roger Sterling and um, Jasper, a.k.a. My Cocaine. My Cocaine. <laughs> um, like they, they would just hang out mm-hmm. and smoke pot and yes. talk about big ideas. Yep. Big ideas. Old music, yeah, art, yes, absolutely. And like, I think Bert Cooper, Cooper would be on on that. It would be like old yeah. dude club, old dude best buddies, yeah, old dudes at the end of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Stan Rizzo and Theo would be best buddies. I think they would be kind of taking it easy together with Peggy along as well. Stan but, and Theo, yeah. I think Theo's much too serious. Yeah, this is not a world full of real laid back people. No, that's true. Um. I, I would like to go back to Battle Dome for a second. Oh, yeah, totally. Because I think Luke needs to fight someone as well. Who? Luke. Um, Chibotel. Oh, yes. Yeah, he does. Because um, he is very committed to his cause. He is. Um, who is not committed to their causes? And I think maybe he's punching the exact same people. Yeah. Well, Harry Paul Crane. Kinsey. He's punching Paul Kinsey oh, even harder. Yeah. Totally. Krishna, Maybe Paul tries to join the fishes. Yeah. That's the cult he's trying to join. Eddie, I've got it. What? Luke. Versus all the bobbies. Why? Just, just, just how, Why? No, picture in your mind. <laughs> Chimatology of four. Just punching a sea <laughs> of eight-year-old boys in short pants because it's the 1960s. I feel like that's got to like, be like no, no, a no. glimpse into Annie, his nightmare. Annie, Annie, you're not cooperating. Close your eyes. There's 15 don't, of them. Don't tell me what I do. They're hanging off his arms. <laughs> They're hanging off his legs. <laughs> They're that, climbing his back. Is that kind of like that? Would you rather fight like a duck? That's the size of a horse or a bunch of horses that Annie, are the size of ducks. It's exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather fight? She would tell a um, or, or a million Bobby Drapers. A million Bobby Drapers. Um, so anyway. One he, of those Bobby Drapers would be a baby and he might not want to fight that baby, which means the baby no. would have the upper hand. Bobby was never a baby. I thought Bobby was a baby. No, no they a baby had a baby. Oh, yeah. yeah. What was that baby's name? Oh, who cares? Gene. Okay. Gene. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, I sabotaged the battle dome. Um, I think he would fight. Oh, I man, I I feel like he might fight some Don Draper. Yeah, he and Don could go at it because he's super committed to his cause. Yeah, um, yeah, I buy that. Yeah, I think that would be the biggest fight that I can think of. Yeah, um, um Julian, maybe maybe you- we can also hook Luke up with. Um, maybe Dawn. She can, she can pull yeah. him back from this intense edge. True. Or depending on which way Luke, which what, what persuasion Luke is. Mm. Um, how about Sal Romano? Oh yeah. They oh, can just mellow Sal each other needs out. somebody. Sal needs somebody. And Aww. you can't do a lot better than she would tell a geophore. I mean, hello. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, see, that's the romantic comedy I was looking for. There it is. Never mind. Charming. Um, best buddies. Um, best buddies. We've got our old men. Yeah. Best triumvirate. Buddies. Yes. Um, um, I think that um, Key and um, Elizabeth Moss. Uh, Peggy. Peggy. I was. I kept thinking Betty in my head, and I'm like, that's not it. Um, Key and Peggy would have a lot to talk about. Yeah. About pregnancy. Yeah, I think so. They would have a lot of conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Key would be like, well, they'd be best buddies until Key was like, wait, I'm sorry, you did what? With your baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I guess like secret pregnancies. Yeah, yeah. 
I think yeah, they would they would get along. I think yeah. different times, different, different circumstances. Time, yeah, but at least they would be like, man, it is weird being a single mm-hmm. mom right now. I think Julian and uh, and um, why why do I blank on character names? It Joan, Julian yes. and Joan would get along. They both get shit done. Yeah, like real real intense tough redheaded women. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, I I would like to pair key up with John and Shirley. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. They would all talk yeah. about systemic they, racism. Would, yeah, right. They would just be in the in the break room, being like, "Oh my god, all these white people." Yeah, they would have things to say for sure. Um, can I tell you my favorite kiss your faces now? Yes. Michael Caine, Jasper. Yeah. Ida Blankenship. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's the one. You're welcome, America. That's it. <laughs> Oh, Annie, if people want more children of men, what should they check out? Um, so if you are looking for more dystopian societies, um, The Handmaid's Tale is the big choice here. Like both the book and the TV show, um, which Elizabeth is starring Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the closest parallel since it involves fertility and government control. Um, 20- and you've really been enjoying the series, right? I have. Enjoying like I, is maybe a generous word. No, but, but like it's very well done. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's an, an excellent adaptation of the book. Um, apparently there's going to be a season two. And I don't think this first season is over yet. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of curious about where they're taking that. Yeah. See how they do. Yeah. And I, I mean, it seems like they're going to do, at least from what I'm sensing, like the book as season one and Going and then off from there, sort of jump into the yeah, broader world which from is there. interesting. Yeah, um, so sure, go for that, yeah, guys. Absolutely. Um, and again, another great performance by Elizabeth Moss and, mm-hmm. and lots of other awesome people, including Rory Gilmore. Hey, she's popping up all over. Mm-hmm. Can't can't keep her down. No, in your patriarchal society. Yeah. Um. So, uh, twenty eight days later is another recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is, I feel like, is the closest mood wise to Children of Men, even yeah, though it's about that. the zombie apocalypse. A little more frenetic, but yeah. definitely the same. Oh kind yeah, of like that same kind of um, that bleakness, um, forming s- survivor groups, not being able to trust the government or mm-hmm. even people you thought you could trust. Yeah. Um. And ultimately ending with some kind of hope. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there's District 9, which is about aliens, but also has a lot of parallels in terms of themes of government control and violence against refugees. Um, there's, of course, Mad Max Fury Road. Transitive property. Transitive property. Um, and definitely different in visual style and feel, but a fantastic look at motherhood in a dystopian society. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, also about a guy who ends up helping a woman slash group of women make it to their destination. Yeah. And babies are prioritized. Yeah. Healthy babies especially. Healthy babies. And because the world is awful and, and we are just poisoned as Ugh. humans. Good job, us. Yeah. Um, and there's Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, of, which is um, about an interconnected group of people surviving a after a dev- devastating illness that kills most of humanity. Um, and again, like, I mean, this is a novel, but it has a very literary approach to mm-hmm. the dystopian landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for more about motherhood and pregnancy, try Call the Midwife, um, in which... I'm sorry, what? Call the Midwife. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, with, in which Pam Ferris, who is Miriam, the midwife in Children of Men, again stars as a midwife. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> She's got such a type. She does. Um, she is fantastic. And the show is one that like I liked when it first started. But I I have loved even more with each progressive season. Like cool. it just gets better and better and deals with 
issues of motherhood and fertility and faith and poverty and in really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So extremely well done. Um, There's Fargo, which features a pregnant woman as the main character and also deals with that bleakness of humanity. Yeah. Collision of innocence and bleakness. Yeah, totally. Um, And for a more fun and upbeat look at pregnancy, there's Jane the Virgin, which also features a, quote, miraculous pregnancy. You can even check out our Jane the Virgin slash Jurassic Park crossover episode. You guys, it's pretty great. Yeah, if you want your pregnancy to be dinosaur themed. Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know. That's a turn that we didn't quite take. Well, you know, when, we were... it's like when people are like, oh, you know, she's expecting. And it's like, what is she expecting? Dinosaur. Yeah. Like, a di- like what is going to pop out of there? <laughs> it's any, anybody's guess. Um, um, what about some reader's advisory for Mad Men? Well, I mean, I see way more bullet points than I had when I started my yes, reader's advisory. Because one person really loves listing every possible option for reader's advisory and the other person is walt um but yeah reader's advisories for mad men um i think the one that gets mentioned a lot in the same breath is breaking bad it was also an amc drama from about the same time about a bad dude being bad breaking bad even um i actually haven't watched breaking bad yet we watched the first episode yeah the pilot's amazing um but i haven't i just haven't been in the headspace yet guys i'm sorry yell at me if you want to um it's a real sad sounding show yeah uh but it is again another show about a man behaving badly rooted in a really essential central performance from brian cranston um there's the wire uh another sprawling picaresque look at systemic issues pertaining to the american dream and with a really excellent cast yeah excellent cast and a very sort of novelistic structure as well Mm -hmm. i think that's another show that partly just because it's hard to watch is hard to binge yeah Um, it doesn't each episode doesn't leave you like wanting to see the next one you're like oh my god these poor kids yeah you want to think on it um downton abbey for another show about societal change and its impact on an overly nostalgic time period yeah you can check out our downton abbey lord of the rings crossover Mm -hmm. episode for more on that back in the day yeah you can tell us how we were doing right out of the gate um, there are all the Mad Men knockoffs, none of which I have seen, but which have populated the airwaves over the last few years. Uh, there's Pan Am. There's that one about the Playboy Club. Um, there were a lot of other ones. Most of them they, went like four seasons and then Oh, ended. not even. Yeah. I think they all lasted or four, like... four episodes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then ended. But uh, are they good? Who knows? Check them out. Let us know. <laughs> oh. um, second week in a row that I'll recommend American Gods because it's very much on my mind right now. Um, you guys, it's amazing. You should go check it out. The most recent episode was great. Um, but for the Mad Men recommendation, it's another sort of lyrical, loopy, and sometimes willfully opaque uh, storytelling show. Um, it's very okay with you not totally getting what's happening, but it still maintains a really high entertainment value. Um, and oh my God, you guys, it's so good. Um, you can watch the video compilation on YouTube of all of the Next Time on Mad Men teaser clips because it's like watching an entirely different show. This was a show that was notorious for giving you like next time next week on Mad Men clips that actually showed literally nothing yeah about the it would plot. be like someone talking to someone off screen and being like what do you want I came because you told me to and then like somebody walks in a door and is like hello and then another person is like you can't say that and then then that's next week on yeah. Mad Men. <laughs> so tune in next time for some yeah. show. Like I've never seen a teaser that felt like the creator of the show mm-hmm. was openly antagonistic to that part of the process. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like he was like, no, I'm very carefully structuring my story in a way that you're like, I don't put in, in the next chapter in this book. Yeah. 
No, it's like, like you would watch these teasers and be like, oh, I guess Dawn is in the next episode. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, look, there's Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there's a book that came out in the mid-90s called Where the Sucker's Moon, an advertising story. It's by Randall Rothenberg. It's a really fascinating look at the way that Subaru as a company overhauled their brand in the 90s mm. and became the kind of sales powerhouse that they are now. Spoiler alert, it involved Paul Hogan and a lot of Australian imagery. Uh, Interesting. But, yeah, but uh, it's a really fascinating look at the way that image can become destiny for companies. Um, Subaru was hugely struggling in the 90s um and for pretty good reason and then basically started with their image first and remade the company under out from underneath themselves and now they're hugely successful see i think i would have gone for a connection with pokemon and they'd be like subaru i choose you <laughs> well i mean maybe we, we still got time yeah Pokemon right. is still in the zeitgeist enough I think oh totally that. yeah um now we move into the Annie addendums to my recommendations. Do you want to talk through these? I do. Yay. So I would also recommend uh, The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit, which is a also a book, but most importantly, a film starring Gregory Peck, Swoon. Um, and it's, yeah, right. Um, and it's very much about and defining the, like, the 1950s corporate man. Like you say, The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit, and that, that defines what these men look like and i think that is the image that we start in with mad men yeah the sort of americana yeah very ideal. much corporate americana mm-hmm. um there is um the, oh uh no who are you i, I was john cheever i was yeah, you mention. yelled at me but you didn't yeah. say raymond carver no. i said raymond carver never mind well, what's your recommendation mine is uh, john cheever another literary fictiony guy writing about the Suburbs um, outside sorry, of literary city. fiction about white dudes. I know, right? In the like it's amazing. Feeling Ground- angst, groundbreaking. I don't understand, dudes. This is this bros, is uncut bros, territory. Bros, <laughs> it's bros, pros, bros, pros. I I would it's love the unfortunate sequel to Blues Clues. <laughs> Man, Steve really changed. <laughs> That's what happened when he went to college. Yep. Started going on Reddit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Came back home, didn't want to look for the salt shaker no. anymore. <laughs> oh, God. <gasps> that makes me so sad. Aww. What happened to Blue? No, Steve's still around. Ah, uh, Blue, he did, went, did he Blue went go to the to farm. A... No. No, but a good farm. No, Blue got adopted by another owner. Oh, that's true. Okay, fine. Yes. Blue's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, John Cheever wrote uh, stories like The Swimmer um, and, ba- and basically could have written the short story version of Don Draper. Um, and I would also recommend, in case you haven't read it yet, The Catcher in the Rye. Um, it was, I believe, written in the 50s, but has very much that sense of post-war isolation, um, yeah. not appropriately dealing with your emotional issues. But I like wandering around aimlessly, wanting to connect with people, but also being afraid to connect with people and yeah. wanting that kind of love and sense of family and community, but also hating humanity. I would say... Oddly enough, most books you would have read in high school English class. Oh yeah, Great Gatsby. Yeah, can like, be I don't refer- know why we didn't have that one. Can be connected and recommended for Mad Men because it's not like focusing on the angst of white male suburbia is anything new. Yeah. But Mad Men manages to do it in a way that does feel very modern. Yeah. Very, most of the time. And I think that for Mad Men, like that's a show that I feel like for oddly for most the characters who are not Don Draper, I find the 
the sum the the ending so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally found the Don Draper ending satisfying as well. Annie oh, felt like my it was God, cheap. I, hate it. I thought it was so cheap. Wow, it's I, moved to hate. I hate it. Every time I think about it, I'm like, it feels like the punchline to a really long joke. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want a punchline. Yeah. I want, I want like Betty Draper writing a letter to Sally saying everything that she cannot say in person. Yeah. Um, I want. Um, Pete Campbell getting Joan. off that plane in yeah. like the Midwest. Yeah. And I want Joan to be in charge of her own business. Mm. I want Roger Sterling to be married to Megan's mom. The laughing Uncle Dad. In, yeah. Like laughing in Canada somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. Like no one else had a punchline as an True. ending. Um, I can see that. Yeah. Um, but. This podcast will not have a punchline as an ending because we don't do that here. We're not funny jokes. here. Shut ha. up, jokes. Get out of here. Yeah. Just um, like just like Blue on Blue's Clues. <laughs> oh, man. Go to your yeah, new yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to do bros, pro, bros, <laughs> bros now. Bros, pros. Bros, pros. I really want to put together a syllabus for bros, pros. Oh, yeah. And it would be like the entirety of the English canon. Right. It'd just be high school. It'd just high be school the English entirety class. of high school. Ugh. Um, but if you want more content that is not drawn from high school syllabi about white dudes, any, uh, where can people find more content? You can find all of the crossover appeal content, um, including episodes and other fun gifts and stuff at crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, you can email us who you think the assistants on bros pros would be, um, like the talking salt shakers on blues clues. What, where are they at now in the bros pros world? Um, one of them has a man bun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's gross because like salt and pepper have to come out of there. Ew. Yeah. Anyway, email us your thoughts about that at <laughs> yeah. crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> you can join our Facebook group. For some reason. <laughs> yeah. In case you haven't already turned this off. Our Facebook group is Crossover Appeal Podcast. Our Twitter account where there will be a poll going up about how right I was to say Raymond Carver and not John Cheever. Our Twitter account is at Crossover Appeal. And in case we haven't grossed you out with that salt and pepper hair thing. <laughs> yeah, there were plenty can, of things you got grossed yeah, out about totally. before that. You can subscribe on iTunes. Also rate us. <laughs> but maybe not after this <laughs> maybe episode. Maybe not after this one. Maybe wait a couple weeks. <laughs> wait until next time. Or go back and listen to uh, Pushing Daisies, yeah. Angels in America. Think, You'll love that one. Think about how much fun we had. <laughs> yep. Oh boy, did we have fun. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, this has, I guess, been crossover appeal. <laughs> I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Andy Cardi. And we are reminding you to, as always, please ship responsibly. Unlike us. 